Hello, Hello Ernest. Ernest. How are you doing? All right. How are you? Doing good. It's been a busy week. But, uh, taking the dog for a walk, taking the taking off the laundry to the dry cleaners, which mm. used to be like every couple of weeks. Now it's like every couple of months. Uh, yeah. That's yeah. why I support my local dry cleaner. Oh. Mm-hmm. So do you remember the homework assignment from last week? Uh, oh. I'm bad at homework. What was it? That's fine. So the the general thing was that there was this tension between uh, I want everyone to share the same values so we can work together as a large collective civilization. I want individual groups to have, you know, freedom over their own values with their, in their own micro communities of whatever size. And then I have certain values that I really want everyone to follow uh, who's associated with me. Mm-hmm. And I said, those three are intention. So you have to figure out which is most important to you or you have to figure out some way to reconcile that, those three. Ah, uh, um, yes. Uh, I had a thought about that. Like, um, the only way to have, uh, not everything, but almost everything is to, uh, use both, uh, structures, but allow people to move freely, move freely between them. Uh, or to create their own uh, communities. Um, that's, you know, if you want to preserve individual freedom and, and uh, uh, um, you know, the self-realization, you know, the individual has to be able to change uh, their mind, you know. Um, but also, once you belong to a, to a, a organization a group that it doesn't mean that it's just um both the group and the individual have to interact act you know actively it's just not just being passive uh passive you're saying hey you know I'm, I'm a member of this community and that's it no you have to say that i am an active participant in this community that way uh you have uh, uh, mm, you can see yourself in the community, and the community can see itself in the, in the individuals that make it up. You know, once things break down, once the community, which is free to do, moves to a different direction, um, with the approval of most of it, you know, the minority, the ones that didn't approve of that change, the ones that don't don't agree with the new direction, with the new values, they, you know, they shouldn't be forced to be that community they should be able to move to other communities that uh, reflect their values better or even create their own communities uh so yes once you are a member of a community you should be you know uh, part of it you should adhere to its values you should adhere to its practices and you should be happy with that uh, uh you know association if you're not you should be able to move around. I think that's you know, kind of one way of keeping the three uh, ideas: you know, a strong uh, uh, structure, uh, individual freedom, but uh, uh, also um, flexibility 
that, that way you don't feel. Right. So it sounds uh, like what I'm hearing is that you want to prioritize uh, the um, the main unit you're concerned about is sort of the local community with its own standards and values, uh, and that the overarching superstructure is mostly just to allow mobility between communities. Mm -hmm. Is that where you're, you think you're going with this? Yeah, that way a, a community has a strong and active identity instead of just a strong identity and then you're just there because you're there. No, you're there because you want to be there and the community it, is there it, also. Communities can choose different levels of, I mean, I, I, I don't see how that's actually a requirement or versus a criteria for choosing a community. Like, for example, if you are a survivalist, uh, you might prefer to join a community of self-reliance with very minimal obligations uh, upon each other and have a very weak central authority so you can do whatever you want, right? That is one type of community. And if everyone there is happy with it, then that's legitimate, right? Yeah, it's a strange community from for my to me, but okay, yeah, it, it could be like a community of um, no bad or people who live in the wild, right? Uh, you know, they live, they share that preference, but you know, uh, they unite for for what? What would they? What would be a raising that or exchange of you know, just basically like you know, frontier families in the old days. Right. We come together for certain activities, but basically everything is it would be fresh. Now, there's a lot of downsides to that, but you know, whether or not it makes sense, the point is, is that it, it would need to be allowed in this system. Yes. Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. So the um, the interesting I'm curious, question. You know, yeah. Uh, not to derail the the, the subject, you know. Uh, but what what if there's a community of cannibals would that be allowed if they don't want to be uh, uh if they want to eat people for for whatever reason um under what mm, structure would that fall you know they be allowed in other communities uh, i i think but to me the answer would be no uh would be would be, would it be the responsibility of other groups to actively, in, in, you know, uh, intervene in that in such a behavior? And why? You know, some people will say life. You know, you can't kill people and eat them. Uh, others will say, well, if they choose to be there, they know what will happen. So, you know, that's a, a, a you know, a, a, you right. Know, so if we go with the the Neil Stevenson Diamond Age analogy, we have, he has these strong cultural units called files. And each file has its own sort of social contract uh, based on whatever norms, some it's a work, some it's a monarchy, some it's anarchy, some it's uh, art, some it is um, commerce, et cetera. They each have their own organizing principles and like these are the things you need to do to be a good member. And what's interesting for him, the fundamental innovation or one of his things that I think was a fundamental innovation, he, he assumed that the nation state had become irrelevant because A, cryptography made it impossible to tax 
and B, um, the, uh, the there was some, the international order was replaced by this common economic protocol, with the idea that there wasn't really any need for nation states boundaries. There was just this sort of uh, common set of rules that people agreed to abide by, and um, representatives to ensure that uh, the local laws were consistent with that. And after that, people could do whatever they want. So if someone was visiting your area and they were attacked, then uh, the file would be responsible for arresting the person and bringing them to a court to decide the appropriate sentence in that local jurisdiction. Excuse me a second. Right. Go on, Quinn. Yeah, sorry, got to drop off my laundry there. Uh, so the idea is that the files, uh, you know, they have their enclaves, and some enclaves are restricted, like only members of the file can live there. Some regions are open; they're under uh, sort of larger governing bodies, which. Uh, allow people who are not part of a file, who are just sort of like migrant workers, who have to abide by the rules of the place, but aren't really considered citizens per se. And yeah, that class of people called thieves, who are kind of living in the, the underclass. And, you know, each file has rules for how people can come in and out. And if, you know, one file doesn't respect another file's boundaries, then that's considered a violation of the common economic protocol and the sort of equivalent of the UN Security Council, the several largest you know, multinational files have their own standing armies that would um, assist in the enforcement of protocol violations. And so uh, there isn't really any point to national boundaries or national wars. People kind of hold territory based on the population and if they recruit people to join their file or not, uh, rather than trying to conquer land. And then they just, as long as you don't violate the common economic protocol, uh, people can do whatever they want. And uh, so like in some files, slavery is legal. In some files, racism is legal. Uh, in the Oriental Kingdom, foot binding of women is legal. And as long as you don't interfere with other people's economic rights by like uh, stealing their children, which is considered an economic asset or things like that, you're left to do pretty much what you want. Mm-hmm. You still there? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Yeah, so this is the thing that, okay. yes. Yeah. So in some sense, people 
get the freedom to have their own communities of whatever strength or you know make the trade-offs of joining a different community um and, but the price of that is there is no uh, sort of shared moral framework of any kind outside of your community everything else is just the cold hard calculus of of financial logic or group self-interest yeah so it's um uh, that sounds almost like an like a nation right but that but a loose nation because I mean, frankly, it sounds like the existing international system today, right? Is that every nation yeah. state uh, has full sovereignty within its borders, um, and there is, you know, bilateral, multilateral agreements between them on various things, and there's formants for collective deliberation, um, but, you know, there's not really any overarching autonomy. Um, you know, sometimes people do things where the collective action, you know, everyone is horrified by this and then we must do something, but it's fairly rare for that to be black and white. Uh, I think Bush and Kuwait was the last thing that was even remotely close to a general sense of uh, shared moral outrage. Uh, I guess the various Rwandan genocides and things like that have caused problems. but. The um, the interesting thing, my wife told me something once, uh, she first came to the U.S. and they elected a new secretary general. This was like a huge deal for them. And I couldn't understand why. But then someone explained to me that for a lot of the world, the secretary general is like a secular pope. He is not just seen as a figurehead or a, um, you know, arbiter of a, crazy multinational body, he's seen as having some sort of moral authority by virtue of his position. And what's funny is that uh, this seems to be endemic to the human condition, uh, that there is a desire for some sort of shared moral compass and um, wanting to know that this um, exists and is um, you know, something that can be appealed to in various contexts. And in fact, you know, the plot of Neil Stevenson's book is that the common economic protocol had become a tomb of Western imperialism against sort of traditional Chinese culture. And so there's a big terrorist riot, which was moderately successful, at least in the short term. So it's an open question whether they could actually become economically viable on themselves. And it was even uh, presented very sympathetically, where there was no illusions that these people were saints, but yet there was a certain nobility uh, to the Chinese uh, way of thinking about things that uh, many of their opponents lacked. So it's an interesting hard problem, but it sounds like you, so it sounds like you've given our initial question, you've kind of come down on the side of, uh, local autonomy is the more important thing, and then we can, you know, get by with sort of ad hoc collaboration at the larger levels. Correct. Yes. Okay. Uh, I think that 
that makes a fair amount of sense. And the uh, interesting question has always been, so, so, so let's, let's assume for the moment that, that the Neil Stevenson world is basically uh, a good first approximation to this, that there is some uh, shared, um, uh, a very, uh, let's call it a thin layer. You've heard the term thick or thin ethics? Uh, have I heard of those terms? Yes. No. Okay, well, so the, 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 the usual version is something like, uh, like a thin ethics is where there's some just a few abstract principles, like do no harm, mm. right? And that uh, you try to build your whole ethics and your po politics and your legal system based on that framework. A thick system, and I'm probably butchering this a little bit, but I think the general mm. sense is correct, is like, okay, we've got this shared history and culture. You know, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal endowed by the creator with these certain inalienable rights among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? You know, even a sentence like that it presupposes a whole bunch of culture and philosophy and theology and uh, literature and essays. And the, the point is, is that, you know, people argue back and forth where you can get by with a thin ethic or whether you actually need a thick ethic. Because almost a thick ethic is that it carries a lot of baggage, obviously, which causes all sorts of problems. The problem with the thin ethic is that nobody's really going to fight to defend it. And it's like, mm. okay, I can read, and we talked about this before, like, if you say, like, I love to have other people follow this rule. That's a good thing. But it's not clear to me why I should follow it myself when it's inconvenient. That's the problem with thin ethics, mm. is that they're more cerebral, where thick ethics are sort of visceral where you feel like you're betraying yourself when you do something that violates your thick ethic. Mm. And so the, you know, the premise is that the, you know, if you're, if you're a thick ethic that governs most of your life and only a small number of people uh, or a small number of actions uh, really infringe on the thin ethic problem, then a cerebral solution is fine. Um, now it's still a failure mode, but it's something. So rather than belabor that, let's actually start with a more interesting question, for me at least, is if you could create your own file, like, you know, there was a way to build a community around a certain set of values and, you know, rally people around that to try and uh, build that. Uh, how would you go about that? Um, well, oh, I start with a purpose. Uh, what is the purpose of getting together? And, you know, yeah, we have, to have purpose, values, ideals, but I think that a purpose has to be out there because uh, um, when you lose purpose, when you have a purpose, when, when you do not have a purpose, you're just flailing around, you know, trying certain things, uh, in, you know, and then what keeps it together? We see examples, and I think we've talked about that, examples of companies pushing out products, right? And then oh, we're not making money in this, and we're just going to change. And all the stuff, all the devices that you bought, 
you know, they're just bricks now. And they right. seem to be, you know, still doing it. And, 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 you know, and they don't tell you at the time, hey, you're going to be part of our uh, thing. And, and, you know, if we succeed, great. If you're not, you know, well, we just stop doing it. They don't tell you that up front. They, they say this is going to be the future. Uh, you know, now you can, you know, enjoy this, whatever it is. And for many years to come, then next year, oh, it's done. It's, you have paperweight and see ya. You, or you, right. might, you so, are welcome to our new product. Yeah. Right. I mean, the, I mean, so do you prefer that scenario to one where companies spend all their time and money maintaining old products and go out of business and you're stuck anyway? Or are those equally bad in your view? That's, uh, uh, well, if, uh, I think so. I think that the, the uh, company should at least uh, for a, a certain amount of time, let's say, I don't know, 10 years. Like, if you enter with a company and, and, start, and you know, are like the first set of customers, you know, you're supposed to, you're the, uh, the founder. They call it, sometimes they call it the founding, me- founding member or something. You're special because huh? you took, you're, you're taking risks. So you're saying that it's worse to voluntarily sort of break the implicit promise than to be forced to do it because you uh, went out of business. Did I get you correct on that? Uh, well, yeah, I understand. Or they're both the, equally bad. Know, but there, well, if you go out of business, there's no option. You know, so that, you know, going out of business means uh, there's no more product, there's no support, there's nothing. Uh, paying business. But you know, kind of like uh, uh, you know, hurting your customers. Mm, you know, there's a chance that you won't stay in business too much, or right. So you're gonna right. lose well, some I customers. Just, I was asking you whether you think that they were morally equivalent, or if one was worse than the other. Well, to voluntarily go out of business because so to, you're to voluntarily needs- to voluntarily kill a product versus. Mm-hmm. Try to support it when it passed when it makes economic sense, and, and then if you end up and then you you miscalculate and you end up going out of business. Is one yeah. really superior to the other? I think the latter is. Uh, I mean, trying to uh, support your customers as long as possible is the best uh, uh, way of, about doing business. Uh, you know, and you know my position when it comes to economic. Uh, uh, I'm not making a judgment. I'm just curious what to get you on the record about this. So yes, so, mm-hmm. and yeah. to be fair, you know, one of my favorite companies, Basecamp, they have that policy, right? Whenever they come up with a new version of something, they keep the old version around, and they mm-hmm. you know, keep it security updated and secure, and they shut it down so no new customers come. But I think that is a more thing, and you know, it's fair to say that you know it's better to try to do the right thing and fail than to not care. I think that's a very uh, honorable position, and that makes sense. Um, I think that as long oh. as are you okay, yeah, as long as you are upfront, honest, and, and upfront that hey, this is a test, or, or, or this is a direction we're thinking about going, but. Uh, if it doesn't work, we're going to change it. We'll keep you informed, right? 
but it, uh-huh. it's uh, it's it might be uh, good for us to just let it go and start with another one, and then tell the customers if we do that, then we'll figure out how to uh, I don't know, outsource or make it open source the, the both hardware and software or whatever it is that they're supporting. Uh, you know, helping the customer continue to use the old version instead of just creating paperwork. Paperwork. Right. Yeah. Or, so, you're, you're, right. So yeah. Again, you are really talking about um, you know the um, like it's good to have some. So let's see if we can make this more general rather than talking about just. Um, you know, random decisions about product life cycles. I think what I'm hearing you say is that companies should see themselves as stewards of their customers, not harvesters of them. Mm-hmm. Right? Is that the company say, hey, we are building a service for customers because we actually care about our customers and what our products will, and we will do our best to try to design our processes and our finances so that we are being of service to our customers rather than using the customers in service of our own financial goals. I think that's the mm-hmm. point you wanted to make, right? And I think that's a good point. And it is one that is uh, generally lost in financial capitalism. I think our buddies over at the long-term stock exchange are trying very hard to encode those kinds of beliefs and promises in corporate governance. Mm-hmm. And to have them, you know, to create a context where people can say, yes, these are our principles, and this is how I encode them in our corporate governance, so that even after I leave, uh, the stockholders uh, keep them accountable to following through on these values. And people go in uh, with their eyes open when they buy this stock, knowing that these are the constraints and values the corporate company is operating under. Mm-hmm. You see that in the in the companies structuring them or saying that they are benefit corporations. Uh, you know, yeah, they, public they benefit corporations, B corporations, yeah. uh, yeah. very much in that same vein. So there's an increasingly large number of options for for-profit entities to explain to for along the lines that again, of suggesting. Your last sentence kind of. I'm oh, sorry. Of, of there's an increasingly diverse range of options for companies to state values that they. Can you hear me? Hello, hello, testing one, two, three. Yeah, okay. Now you're back. You're back. You were gone there for five for eight seconds. No? No? Hello, did I drop off? Yes, but you're back now. Oh weird. Think yeah. I was off a cell tower or whatever, but yeah. So I was saying that there's an increasingly wide range of options for companies to state values and then encode them in a way that they are accountable to doing so. Mm-hmm. Right, and this is the interesting thing is that 
um, this kind of gets into what we talked before. It's like, it's one thing to say we have these values. It's one thing to think we have these values. It's another thing to actually live up to these values and be able to be held accountable to them. All right. And this is the, um, and then um, there's an even more difficult task, which is then uh, when you're starting from scratch and not inheriting an existing set of values, how do you gain a critical mass of people who actually sign up for that? And um, I'm back home and I'm actually working on that problem on the side with my other podcast, uh, as well as trying to get my job done. So I'm, maybe I'll drop it here. And maybe you can think about next week, because I think this is a practical question that we've come up with uh, before, mm -hmm. with how do you bootstrap a set of values? And you've done a few essays of various kinds. Um, which did not appear to be designed to attract a community that would help you live out your values. Um, uh, you can think about that and help me understand if that is something you want to do and how you would want to go about that. All right? All right. All right. Thank you, Ernest. Thank you, Ernest. See you later. Bye.